Hey guys, welcome to Bloomcast, sharing stories, insight and experiences from youth football. Afternoon everyone and welcome to the very first episode of Bloomsbury FA podcast. It's a momentous occasion. I'm here with Nick Barham who is the head of academy at Bloomsbury FA. How are you man? Yeah, very well. Yourself? Yeah, I'm fantastic. You know what? The sun's shining. You know, you caught me having a little thing pong before we jump on this. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, regarding your role as head of academy, just sort of paint us a picture. What does that mean? What does what does that? What are the responsibilities that are sort of tied in with that? So, with the role as academy manager, I oversee all of our academy teams. Our youngest is our under seven team, and our eldest is under 14 that will be under 15 as of the start of the 2020-2021 the season so really it's managing the expectations and the needs of those groups um, obviously that's completely different from one end with the under sevens through to the top end and our under 14s um, as well as also working in partnership with parents to make sure that the players are attending and they are getting the most out of their football as they can and working in partnership with our coaching group as well who I'm sure we're going to get into in a little bit later on. So we've got eight members of staff working at the moment. Um, a really, really strong team, mixed team as well in terms of experiences and knowledge, but all on the same platform in terms of where we want to push Bloomsbury to and where we want to push ourselves to. So a really good mix of people who, who want the best and want to be the best. Um, which is fantastic. We're looking to add to our team with an academy coordinator who will come in to work with our youngest age groups um, and as well as get on with a goalkeeper coach who, who comes in and, and really adds that individualism to, to our, our programme. Well, if you know any of those roles sound appealing to anyone, feel free to sort of reach out to Nick and yeah, I'll let you know. Academy at bloomsburyfootball.com. Send me your CV and uh, we can get the ball rolling. I like that. All right, perfect. Nick, let's take a step back, man. Let's get to know the man behind the Bloomsbury Academy manager role a little bit better. So we're going to do a quick, quick fire round. How do you feel about that? Yeah, sounds good. Let's, let's go for it. Do it? All right, cool. So your favourite team? Chelsea. Your favourite team on FIFA? It's got to be Barca, isn't it? <laughs> you can't go wrong, man. You can't go wrong with Barca. Yeah, All right, your first go with Messi on one side. Yeah, true. What's your first football memory? My first football memory. Ah, oh, tough one. Um, probably being stood in the standing area at Priestfield Stadium, the, the home of uh, Gillingham Football Club, being about okay. four foot one and. Uh, and trying to trying to see over people and having to get up on my dad's shoulders. So, uh, so yeah, that's probably the first one. Was Gillingham your dad's team? Uh, no, it's my my local club. So Chelsea's sort of the blood forced into that, really. Um, you know, through family. Gillingham's my my local club, and, and where I eventually moved on to work and and learnt a lot. So there'll always be a, a big a big club for me, and uh, and a big club that I follow football pitch five aside seven aside 11 aside what skill do you bring out of the locker oh now, now you're pushing me in the wrong areas probably pass it to someone else <laughs> pass it to someone who, who can do that stuff and then uh, and then get ready to to mop up when they don't do it fair enough know your limits, know your limits. <laughs> exactly <laughs> what idol growing up tough um 
Gianfranco Zola, the man, oh, yeah. the wizard. Yes. He had he had everything, and um, yeah, when I think back to you know that that old Chelsea top, the Auto Glass era, I like to call it, with uh, with YZ Zola. You know, it, it didn't get better than that as a well. It obviously did get better than that as a Chelsea fan, but but watching Zola, Zola was the man. No, I think Zola could potentially still get into the Chelsea team today, and that speaks volumes because obviously he pumped a lot of money into it. But yeah, now Zola, what a man! That's a great shout oh, for you, Nick. Already, oh, like sure. <laughs> All right, what's your uh, footballing ability in one word? Um, one word, tough. Um. Maybe analysis, reading the okay. game. Okay. Okay. I like that. I've never had that answer before, actually. That's made me think. All right. I like that one. And your sort of celebrity coaching style, which manager or coach that's obviously in the in a big stage right now, you sort of mould your style off? Fantastic question. Um, if, if we were in 2006, 2007, I'd love to have said Mourinho. Um, big, big inspiration for me stepping into the coaching world. Um, probably now, in terms of where we are currently, I'd probably say Chris Wilder at Sheffield United. Okay, why did you say that? Um, I mean, Sheffield United, what a team. What a team at the moment. And the thing I like the most about watching them play is that they look to innovate. They, they're looking to do something new. The game evolves around us. And if we don't get on board, then we're going to get left behind. And Chris Wilder and Sheffield United have definitely done that. They're looking to change the game. Um, and the way that Chris Wilder talks, um, very, very honest, very open approach. And I mean, that's what I, I really appreciate and would definitely say that that's something in my own coaching. I want to be honest and I want to, I want to drive people and, and be open as well. 100%. And I think they managed to do it off such a limited budget. Well, to put it in context to what's the budget in the Premier League. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, so that's the thing is that that's surely what truly makes a manager, truly makes a coach is being able to do these things with limited resources. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, he he's someone who I definitely aspire to. Um, would I say that I'm anywhere near him? No, um, but pushed for an answer there. He's probably someone that that I try and imitate as much as possible. Yeah, no, fair enough. And he's a role model, one, absolutely. All right, cool. So that's a quick fire round done. Congratulations, you did fantastically well. I enjoyed all exactly. of your answers. <laughs> Brilliant, thank you. So okay, now let's um, let's take a step back and sort of talk about your journey to being where you are today with Bloomsbury FA. Talk us through your experience. Um, your background and the high, the sort of the hows and the whys you decided to go into working with Bloomsbury. Yes, yeah, so I joined Bloomsbury in January of this year, uh, January 2020. So, so quite fresh in the system. One of the things that stood out to me with Bloomsbury was how unique they were as an organisation. Um, a big presence on social media, and when I realised that. It had all been built in two years, a year and a half. You know, it was it was outstanding. So the fantastic work that had happened before I joined with Charlie and Dominic, who who was in the seat that I'm in before me, um, they built something special. Um, 
and yeah i'm really excited to push that and and make that more okay perfect and what inspired you like why did you say decide to go down this avenue as opposed to maybe being an agent or something else what what was what was your journey like um very a very mixed journey i started coaching quite young on the back of an injury um and i wanted to stay involved in the game i wanted to stay involved in football always loved the game um and i'd really fallen out of love with playing um i've lost a lot of enthusiasm and motivation to play um and like i said i wanted to stay in the game so I volunteered in a coaching capacity and fell in love with it. It was it was the fact that you were able to be involved in every part of the game. You were able to influence everything. You were able to, you know, deploy different tactics the way that it was almost like a chess game, you know, trying to find answers to to the problems that were happening. So love the game. Um so sought out a career in it and, and went on to, to college to to study more about sports and coaching um, alongside a role at the time I had with Charlton Athletic. Um, I worked in their community department at the time and I worked with some fantastic coaches who taught me um, a lot then. And when you're fresh and when you're young, you're a sponge. You take every bit of information you can get and you use it. Um, and that's something that I, I sought to do. Um, after a year there, I sought out a role with Gillingham Football Club. And there I met what I would say was probably my first mentor, uh, Pete Sayer, um, a fantastic coach, um, but also a fantastic manager as well. Really knew how to, to motivate staff and really knew how to to make sure that they were, they were pushing themselves to. Um, and then from there, really, I was there for six years um, at the Jills, pushing through a lot of different departments. So I went on to become the Youth Development Liaison Manager, which entailed a program with a college link. Uh, I also worked in the academy there. I taught the scholars um, in the classroom for their their education i also headed our girls academy program so lots of different roles that gave me lots of different experiences um towards the end of my time it became a an irritation for me i want to say because i wanted i wanted to see what else was out there i wanted to sort of push myself as far as i could go um in the middle of my time at the Jills, I, I took a stint where I worked in California. Um, and I think that's what really started that, that itch, that irritation to, to get abroad and see what else was out there and experience new cultures and, and the way that they approach the game. The one thing with working in the States that sort of stood out to me was the dependence on the physicality of the game. Um, and not, not an ignorance, not a you know, not ignoring the technical and tactical parts of the game, but really that overlying fact that perhaps if you are bigger, better, faster and stronger, you will get the advantage. But I think we see it in today's game. That's not always true. Try telling that to Andreas Iniesta. So, so Billy Gilmore, the way he exploded into your Chelsea team. Yeah, another prime example. I mean, you could definitely go through a list of players who are five foot nine, five foot ten below, and 
arguably stake a claim in the best team that's ever that's ever lived. Um, so you know there there is that side to it. I think the physical side of the game is important. It's really really essential. You can't play the game without it. But if you want to be great, you can't rely on that. There's other parts of the game you you've got to learn and you've got to evolve. Um, so yeah, towards the end of my time at the Jills, I then sought out opportunities and one that became available was an opportunity to move to Beijing and work in China. Um, obviously that was in a time where football was really growing there. And I think there was that, that interest to sort of peel back the curtain and see what it was. Um, and it was a shock to the system. Let me tell you that it was... It was huge learning to dive into programs and to engage in a different language, um, to have to sort of learn different customs. It, it was huge for my learning and it, it made me so adaptable and opened my eyes. Um, just like the Jills, I met a lot of good coaches, one in particular, Colin Curtis, who to this day is someone that you know when he talks you listen um he's got so many good ideas and it's such a positivity as well that he he's gone far already but i'm sure he's going to go even further he's currently a head coach down in cambodia um and, and i'm sure he's gonna he's gonna do fantastic things in the game um so yeah, my role in China entailed me overseeing a region um, in terms of our elite teams that would go out and represent us in Asia, um, as well as looking at managing how impactful the game could be in that area and really trying to improve the, the participation rates and try and reach as many kids as possible. That allowed me to go into some schools at some stages, um, you know, some crazy stories there, working with 40 kids, on half a foot, uh, half a football pitch, you know. So, like I said, a lot of challenges that made me really adaptable. Yeah. Like, what would you say is your standout theme that you try and apply to every group of players that you sort of coach? That's a great question. Um, I would say that's something I've probably learned quite recently. I spent the year 2019 working in Australia with Ballarat City and. I worked with one coach in particular there, James Robinson, who, who used to play for Melbourne Victory, um, a fantastic coach on, on the grass. Um, and he was always he was always very black and white in his approach, which sort of battled with what I'd previously learned um, in terms of trying to be adaptable, trying to find solutions. He always spoke about receiving with your back foot, scanning so checking your shoulders make sure you know about your immediate surroundings make your decision before you receive and the triggers and cues of the game and when when i really dove into that in a lot more detail it was something that i thought well it can't be that simple but it really can and it's all about in order to be great you need to be good all the time you can't have moments where you don't scan because that's the moment that you haven't scanned, you've lost possession, and now your team's conceded because you haven't checked your shoulder. If you receive with the wrong foot, all of a sudden you're not set up to make that next pass. You're not set up to, to take that player on one-on-one. -on -one. You're not there to you know, combine or even get into the box and, and get that goal. 
So it became that that sort of there was always one of the the, the problem would have one of those answers. You either haven't scanned, you haven't received with the right foot, you haven't done certain things right. And that's definitely something I would say that I, I've brought into the Bloomsbury team that I work with now and how I try and influence the coaches in terms of we deal with a game that is based on making decisions. So yes. allow the players to be the most equipped they can to make that decision. And that is a simple process of receive information. Now that's either you scanning and you checking your shoulders and knowing what's around you and what is perhaps your next decision or someone giving you that information um, or vice versa. It's, it's also then that next part of actually now the execution. I've made my decision. I must do it quickly. I now must execute it quickly because I want to take advantage of being quick in possession and try and disorganize the opposition. And then the last part really is then the support on that. So once you, you've maintained the information, you've made the decision, and then you've, you've executed it from there, but then moving to support or moving to be in a, possession, a position to, to press. So a lot of those basic concepts I'm trying to introduce, um, and I feel like once you, you do introduce those, you have a platform with which you can, you can sort of bounce forward from there. 100%. You know, I couldn't agree more. And um, I was watching uh, Last Dance on uh, Netflix, actually. It's unbelievable, by the way. If anyone's listening, you need to go and watch that. It's absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. But one of the quotes that stuck out was, you're successful at the moment that you perform a successful act. And so yeah. obviously it really resonates what you're saying now, because in order to be good or to be great, you've got to consistently do the right things, perform those successful acts. And that comes from mastering the basics and basically getting it so right that there's never a time that you have to overthink it or overcomplicate it because it's now almost like second nature. So for me, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. I really, really got value from what you just said. Yeah. I mean, for, for young, sorry to, to jump on you there, James, but to get to that point, it's the other Michael Jordan quote, you know, I, I've scored a thousand, you know, free throws, but he also missed a lot as well. And in order to be yes. successful, you, you need to fail. And you need to understand that actually failure isn't failure. It's an opportunity to learn. So the moment I fail is the moment I go, now I can do better. Now I can improve. Now I can do the next thing even better. Um, so, you know, that's huge for me. It's okay if you don't scan. It's okay if you don't receive with your back foot. It's okay if you've missed that penalty. But then don't beat yourself up. Pick yourself up and go, now I've learned, now I do better next time. Um, I mean, I've got it here in front of me now. So the Jordan quote is, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and miss. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. Couldn't agree more at all, man. Um, yeah, no, that that makes perfect sense. And I really, really think that anyone that's going to listen to this is going to get immense value, whether it be parents that relay the information to their kids or whether it's kids who take the initiative and listen to, listen to this themselves. There's a lot of value to be gained from that. All right, cool. So the, the sort of um, the theme or the topic that we wanted to highlight a bit more t in today's episode was the silent sidelines. So... It sounds, it's a bit of alliteration right there. It sounds great, but for people that are listening or maybe that are not so familiar with what it is, could you give us a brief explanation as to what it is, why why it's there, and why um sort of 
Bloomsbury FA have imposed it within their rules and regulations? Yeah, so silent sidelines um, is really a notion that allows players to make decisions on their own without anyone on the side, coaches, uh, parents, guardians, spectators, adding that pressure. So we are in an environment with our academy where we work with young players now, young players are going to make mistakes. We know that. Otherwise, they wouldn't be here. They wouldn't be in a youth setting. They'd already be at Liverpool, at Manchester City, if they had all the answers. So they're going to make mistakes. So silent sidelines really is creating a setting for that player to make mistakes to process all the information around them without the pressure of the coach telling them, oh, pass now, shoot, oh no, man on. And the same on the side, the opposite sideline with with the parents. So we want to make sure that silent sidelines allows players to be able to make the decisions themselves without being impacted by any external information now it doesn't mean that we want coaches and parents to be quiet we want them to encourage and actually they're so essential to it if a player does something fantastically we need to make sure that it's the opposite of silent sidelines it's the loudest sidelines there can be because we want to make sure that player receives that positive reinforcement for you've done something great well done so yeah when a player does do something really well it's important that that action is positively reinforced um we want to make sure that silent sidelines doesn't mean that we are completely quiet it does mean that we are quiet for certain parts of the game where the players are making their own decisions But when they do execute something that is positive, whether that's what we're trying to achieve in that game, whether that's a great individual movement, then we applaud it and we make sure that that player knows that they've done something great. 100%. Once the match has started, how is it imposed to make sure that everyone is doing their part to allow for the best experiences for the children who are there to learn and develop? So we have a fantastic parent group. Um, up and down our age groups and a lot of our parents respect that what we ask for is that silent sidelines Um, how I would say this is reinforced is by the empowerment that we give the coaching group Um, I wouldn't hesitate to encourage a a coach um, as part of Bloomsbury to call across to the parents and say parents please don't give any information allow the player to make their decisions um and failing that it's obviously a a part of my role as academy manager then to work in partnership with those parents and explain why it's important that they do allow that player that opportunity um it's it's something that we don't really want to police and we don't want to be you know i'm not even that we don't want to force parents to stop talking altogether so it's, it's really key that what we do have, have is that partnership with them as opposed to it's us telling them off and treating them like they're 
their children. How'd you go about getting across your messages uh, pre sort of pre the match and post training? Because I know obviously for you guys, if you want to have limited um, sort of communication or disturbance of the match, you have to relay certain information um, prior to the game starting. So talk to us about what it looks like pre-match and then post-training as well. So that obviously on match day, you're getting maximum learning, but also they're sticking to what you've already taught them and what you want to achieve. So with the playing group, we'll look to debrief sessions post-training. So at the end of the session, we'll use a variety of different methods just to reflect on what it is we've gone through, what our theme has been, what our topic has been, and then how we can take the buzzwords and the real key bits of information that might trigger a larger image or a larger chunk of information for that player. Um, so that's post-training. Pre, Pre-match with players, we obviously look to go through those and we use a lot of question and answer with the players in terms of posing them the scenarios and the questions and then looking for them to respond as well. We'll, look, we'll use a lot of group activity, so them coming up with the answers as a group and then being able to, to work with them from there. But working with the parents and guardians isn't something we've explored as much um, and is something that I'm really desperate to get into in more detail. So one of the things that I'd like to employ and well, one of the things I will employ is empowering the coaching group to approach the parents with the information that we've given the players for that game. So guys, this is what we've been working on this week in training. These are the areas we've encouraged the players to execute. Um, if you do see these parts, please make sure that you enforce it from there. Please make sure you do applaud it, you do encourage it, because once they're comfortable executing that, they'll be comfortable executing it again next week when we're focusing on something different. So really something that I'm looking forward to working in partnership with the parents on to to, to get that message to them to say, these are our targets and the game of football's huge. We're not going to learn it all in two free training sessions. So we're going to break that down into smaller chunks. And in order to really fully open that chunk up, we then need to explore it further. We then need to allow players the opportunity to do that on a match day. So... So yeah, that, that's something I'm looking forward to doing in terms of how we get those messages across. But in terms of how we work with the players on that, um, it is a lot of Q&A and involving the players in the process as opposed to saying to them, this is this and that's that. Now go and do it. It's a collaboration. It's working with them. because Yeah, exactly. I think that's probably the best way to put it is it's a collaboration. The end goal is we have a young athlete who is fully advanced in their understanding the game, fully advanced in their capabilities of the game, and is able to then have that platform to bounce off and reach the potential that they, they have. So whether that potential is going on to a pro contract and becoming the next Wayne Rooney, or whether that potential is that they play in the Conference South and they make £200 a week and that covers what their mortgage is. Um, so the important part from there is that what we have is whatever that player's capabilities are, we give them the tools to achieve that. 
Um, how does it, the approach differ between the age groups? Because we cover so many different age groups. Um, is yeah. there a slightly different duration for each one, or is it quite consistent in the way it's, it's enforced between each age group? It uh, changes. It changes dramatically at some stages as well. So with our under-7s and our under-8 age groups, we will encourage them to dribble. Dribble, dribble, dribble. You think you can take on four players and score? Go and do it. You think that you can rainbow flick and finish with an overhead? Go and do it. We want to empower those players to go and do what they think they can do and to fall in love with the game because they're six years old, seven years old, and we can't treat them like professionals they still want to have fun as we all do but as we get older what is fun can look different so at seven and eight dribbling loads of touches loads of goals um is what we'll encourage players to do really important as well though is that we encourage them to do that with both feet we get them in that habit of being comfortable using both feet in that real golden age as we move up from there and in terms of structure the phrasing i like to have with it is at sevens and eights it's me and my ball it's me and my ball that's my ball i don't want anyone else to have it i want to dribble 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 score when we then move older when we look at our under nines and our under tens what we are looking at there is me and my teammate so now all of a sudden it's actually yeah I do have teammates now that teammate might be the player next to me it might be the player in front of me the player who's wide the goalkeeper behind me but now it's about how do I offer support for that player and how can I combine with that player so we start to then address elements such as receiving as I spoke about earlier with back foot um, so under, for the players to then understand what is the right foot to receive with and how that sets them from there. As we move forward from there, what we are looking at is all of a sudden it's like me and my my unit. So for example, it might be me and my defenders, me and my midfielders, me and my forwards. And then as we progress from there, we're then me and my team. And I have a role within that team. I am the left back in that team. But if I don't go high and wide and give width to my teammates, I don't give my centre midfielder enough space on the ball to be able to execute that pass or my striker enough space to be able to make that movement that gets the ball at their feet in front of goal one-on-one with a keeper. So that is a real sort of simplified approach in terms of the steps that we take throughout the age groups. Obviously, the details in those will will differ um, and work from there as well. Um, I've read that you have like a 24-hour sort of delay post-match or in in sort of giving dialogue and feedback. What's the story behind that? Why is that so important? Why do you have that window, that break to allow players to let the situation, let the game day take its toll? Emotions is is the main reason. Um, That rule applies to coaches and it applies to... Uh, parents, guardians, and really to players as well, although we wouldn't police that as much with the players as we would with the other two parties, purely because 
what we want is the players to be expressive. Um, the re like I said, it, it's emotion because we've been criminal of it. And I'm pretty sure any coaches who are listening will have a perspective where they've said, ah, oh, yeah, I did rant too much in that post-match conversation. I did talk too much. We can, we can turn the players off. We can lose their enthusiasm in the game. And that is what's criminal. If we're turning players off the game, that is truly the, the definition of what can be a coach's worst, worst attribute. So I think if you allow the opportunity to take the emotions out of the game um, from all sides, even if the parent has something they'd like to talk to the coach about, then what it allows is everyone to calm down and to be able to view things with intelligence. And they're the two states that I like to talk to players about a lot of the time is emotion and intelligence. Sometimes when you're emotional, it's going to allow you to push yourself that bit further. It's going to allow you to press that bit harder. Sometimes when you're intelligent, it allows you to see things that you didn't see before um, because you're more calm and you're more relaxed. So that's a, that's a really essential part there. No, perfect, man. I, I think I hadn't heard of any doing that prior to reading it on your website. So for me, once you've explained it now, it makes so much sense. Um, yeah. Immediately after a game, like you said, if things have gone very, very well, then obviously you might go in there and you might say something that takes the whole victory out of context. And if something's gone very, very badly, again, like you said, the worst thing you can go is do something or say something in that conversation that now affects the players negatively. So a 24-hour yeah, window sure. for me makes a lot of sense. What we will do is we'll send them a... We use a Google form with them, um, which is just a match review. Okay. Now, we do that with our eldest age groups because what we do have is is direct access to them um, in terms of we have a WhatsApp group with those players. Um, it allows us to give them the opportunity to, to socialize as a group, but we send that in and it gets their opinion. So they get the chance to review their preparation, how their performance was, perhaps who they thought man of the match was. Um, and areas like that. So we won't necessarily go over things as a group, but we send that out to the players and it allows them to review the game and take stock of, actually, I did do this really well. Uh, one of the key areas in there is preparation. So we'll throw a question there, rate your preparation one to five. Because now what I want the players to start thinking about is, actually, did I eat well enough before I came to this game? Did I arrive in enough time to prepare properly? Did I fully understand what I was asked? And going back to what you were saying before, it's a collaboration. So if the player does have some questions in those areas and that comes becomes evident after their review, then that's my position as a coach and as academy manager to address what that with that player and say, hey, maybe arriving earlier is going to help you. Or, hey, maybe, okay, if you felt tired in the starting game, maybe take the step out of this part of the warm-up. Um, so, so, yeah, although we don't allow sort of conversations around the game for 24 hours, we do give the players the opportunity to review but that is review without pressure. Yes. yes um, no, that's perfect scenario. When I was playing football when I was slightly younger, I think that would be the ideal way for me to express how I felt a match went. So, yeah, I think, I think you're onto a winner of that one. What can parents do, though, to sort of support their child through that? If um, a parent's listening and they want to and they come to Bloomsbury and they want to help their child to get the most out of that sort of experience, what can they do? How can they aid their players' development? Questions. 
questions, questions, questions. I think we've all been there um, when there's been post-match and our coach or a parent has then told us what to do. Oh, you should have done this. You should have done that. Uh, I've been criminal of it in the past myself as a coach when I was younger, telling players what to do post-match. Um, but allow them to learn themselves, allow them to review and reflect on that performance and what they've done themselves and take that forward. Um, so after the game, I think one part that's really essential is having a series of questions that the parent can ask and having them pre-prepared as a, as a parent as well. As a parent, your role is to make sure that your child is safe, happy, and enjoying what they're doing. So a lot of the questions parents should ask are around, did you have fun? Other things they can ask there would be, what did you do well? Encouraging the players to reflect positively on their performance. What areas could you have done better? Making the players think about their performance and actually reflect on that. What did you try? So allowing the players to think about what it is they could have done better and tried. Um, and what will you change for the next match? So allowing the players to start processing and reflecting themselves and eventually adopting that growth mindset. Perfect. And um, finally, how can others get involved? So I presume there are going to be coaches, there are going to be parents who are listening who are not immediately involved with Bloomsbury at this current time. Um, what, how can they, what can they do to implement it within their maybe uh, small teams, maybe their, their teams, local teams, their grassroots teams, in order to, for them to have the same experience that they, you have at Bloomsbury? Yeah, I think, I think be open. Be open and look to make those changes. So we've spoken about a couple of different things there in terms of the questions parents can ask and the processes to have in place. So it's important to be open and try those things. So we have a lot of great blogs and great information on our website um, around our own processes. We've also, this week, we, we've held a webinar where we've allowed other clubs and businesses to uh, discuss with us um, you know, so get in touch with us. Get in touch with us as an organisation. Info at bloomsburyfootball.com, academy at bloomsburyfootball.com, and we can look to to help you out with whatever way and um, whatever way you need. Um, so yeah. Um, is there anything else? Any other points? Any other sort of plugs you want to add in before we end today's episode? Um, no, not. Not really. Uh, I'm just trying to think now in terms of what what I can push. Um, I think we are we as an organisation are moving places, and our goal as an organisation is to strive to create the best environment for young players in London. Um, if you are a parent listening, you are a coach listening, and you are driven, you are passionate you are wanting to be a part of a program that pushes the boundaries of football, then get in touch. Perfect. Nick, thank you so much for your time. I felt like I've learned so much through education for me, so I really, really appreciate your time. Perfect. No worries. Thanks for your time, James. I really enjoyed talking to you. No worries at all. All right. Thank you, everyone. So that's been the very first episode of the Bloomsbury FA podcast. Please, please, please make sure you like, subscribe and comment. Um, tell a friend to tell a friend. and make sure you keep up to date with future episodes.
Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Bloomcast. Please share this podcast with others so they can enjoy it too. For more information about the programmes Bloomsbury Football Run, check out our website, www.bloomsburyfootball.com.